Excuse me, but are you loving this podcast? If you are, you can support the show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. All you have to do is hit the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Excuse me, I have something to say. Hello and welcome to Excuse Me, the podcast where we have real and open conversations about life and everything it throws at us. I'm your host, Sean Philip Naylor, and if you're tuning in for the first time, don't forget to click on that subscribe button so you never have to miss out on an episode. You can also join in on the conversation by surfing your way over to the show's official website, excuse me, I have something to say.com. Or you can follow along through with the show's official Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter account, where you can slide right on into my DMs, let me know your thoughts and feelings of the show, or if there's any future topics that you wish for me to tackle. And as always, you can find those social links embedded into the show notes for you. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the latest installment of Excuse Me. A huge welcome back to all of you regular listeners. Thank you once again for all of your support. It's always appreciated. To all of you newbies out there, hello and welcome. Don't forget to click on that subscribe button. And if you're listening through iTunes, Apple Podcasts, remember that you can actually rate and review the podcast on that platform. And that's going to help elevate these conversations for more and more people to find and enjoy. So coming up on the show today, I will be introducing you all to a very fabulous friend of mine, Brandon, who on occasion also goes by the name Maya. That's Maya Crofone to all of you. Brandon is a fabulous Gold Coast based drag artist who can often be found doing her thing as Maya in venues all over the place including a very well-received pre-COVID stint at the Balcony Bar in Byron Bay. So without any further ado, join me as we pin our wigs, tuck up our boys and put on our most fabulous frocks as Maya teaches us all how to embrace our inner queen. Brandon, Maya, how are you, my love? Hello, Sean. I'm doing very, very well, thank you. Enjoying life as best as we can in a post-COVID world, I guess now. So just getting back to normality. My day-to-day job as Brandon is going, I was going to say swimmingly because we're right on the beach. But I won't do that because that's corny. Love a pun. Um, we all love a good pun. 
but yeah, no, that my day to day job is Brandon's going amazingly and life as Maya is slowly starting to pick back up, which I'm so excited to get back into. Glad to hear it. So how has this uh, 2020 pandemic affected you and your performances this year? Oh, uh, well, so it affected me massively in my day to day job because um, unfortunately, like many others, COVID made me redundant. Um, so my essentially assistant manager position at the cafe I was working at, I lost my job a month after we went into quarantine. Essentially, the company sent out an email way, we're not bringing any of you back, we're closing down, sorry. It's like, fuck, okay, so am I allowed to spare? Yeah, go for it. Okay, oh, fuck, thank God. <laughs> Good. Thank fucking oh. God. But yeah, so I lost my job, unfortunately. So then we spent about a month on the job seeker. I hated that. Like, as someone who lives to work, essentially, like I need to constantly be busy, spending a month at home, being unable to leave the house and just be at home was driving me insane. Like, There's only so many costume changes you can do in a day. And I was literally, I was literally going through my stuff and just putting stuff on and being like, mm, yeah, <laughs> glamorous. And then playing with hair and just going, yep, that's fabulous. But then life is Maya as well. COVID kind of put everything at a standstill. Because like, your socials had you looking really busy before COVID as Maya. Yeah, I was, I was constantly busy. I was doing two trivia shows a week. I was going down to Byron once a month. We had shows as part of Mixed Nuts constantly lined up, one or two a month. And then COVID hit and boom, gone, everything. Even now with the remainder of the year, they're only just slowly starting to come back. And I'm like, are we even going to get back to what, what we were pre-COVID? It's so like, weird, isn't it? It's so strange. It's actually scary. The world post-COVID is going to be completely different. It's going to be a new normal. Yeah, well, that's what they keep telling me and I don't like it. All right, let's take it back. So um, obviously you're looking absolutely fabulous this evening. For those people who are listening, Maya is uh, bringing, uh, bringing out her glam, I, want to say, I almost want to say housewife yes. vibes. Like we've got a negligee, we've got the girls on display. She's got that updo for the, uh, you know, the chores that a lady must do. Um, like I like, like I said to you, I'm I'm giving a very rich, elegant woman whose husband has died in mysterious circumstances, and she doesn't know a thing about it. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, so this is you tonight. But um, can I ask how and when did you first get into drag? Oh, that's a very good question. So I was managing Escape, the gay bar on the Gold Coast here at the time. And I was very much a, I want to say anti-gay gay guy. I had a lot of internalized homophobia. Relatable. I think we all kind of go through that. I think I still have oh. a little bit of it and I try to oh. manage it. Told oh, me too. I look at all these young ones running around being as free as they want. And I go, no, no, you have to go through the hardships that we went through. No, you don't get it like that. That's right. And we didn't even do it hard compared to the ones before us. No. Like, oh God, no. no idea. But yeah, so I was managing the club at the time and... A couple of the queens that were regular performers were just like, come on, just do it once, you'll have fun. And I was like, never, never in my life was I ever going to get up on stage and do this. And then uh, one week I just turned around and went, okay, look, I'll do it once, get out of the way, over and done with and never again. So 
contacted one of my now really good friends, Martini, got her to put me in face for the very first time, bought a couple of cheap wigs off eBay, very cheap wigs off eBay, got a really good close friend's mum to make my costumes, did my first show on stage and went, oh, I need to do this every week now. This what was just... your first show like? <laughs> so I thought I was serving glamour fish galore. <laughs> No. Think of baby giraffe, first time walking. That's what I was like in heels. I mean, that's cute uh, though. Not for a six foot one, good 88, 90 kilo, quite broad shouldered man. Because <laughs> uh, back then, I, I look at photos from back then, from when I first started drag and God, she was in shape. She was looking hot. I was like, I would hit on myself. Girl, you look and good I can, now. I've seen, well, you, I I've can, seen your shower Insta posts. You're looking, oh, you're looking fine, hun. Now, yes. But... <laughs> A lot of work goes into those photos, <laughs> trust. But yeah, I, um, I was just like, no, this is just amazing. This is something I, I need to do because I'm a born performer. And so it was just sort of like, as soon as I stepped on that stage, it was like, no, nah, she's here. She's not going anywhere. So I, that kind of actually leads really nicely into my next question for you, which is how was your identity of Maya Crofone? How was she born and how did you get her name and her persona? Well, so originally my very first choice for my drag name was Brandy Lane. So it was like a feminine version of my actual name. And one of the other queens, she turned around and went, mm, you can't do that. It has to be something completely different. Like it can't have any ties to your boy name. You need it to be something different. I was like, So there's okay. rules to this. Not rules, but it's just like a... The you wanna... unspoken rules. Yeah. Like back then it was a case of you wanted to try and separate the two identities as much as possible. Okay. So have two completely separate names. It's not the case these days. It's like if, you're, if your worlds mesh between your boy life and your drag, it's amazing. So I picked that name, then had to choose something else. Then I already had my microphone tattoo. Yes, I remember this is how I fe first learned that you did drag was that we were working together and I caught a glimpse of it and I was like, what? Because I love tattoos. And I was like, what's this ink? And you rolled up your sleeve and you were like, it's my drag name. And I'm like, it's a microphone. And you were like, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah, I, it was just, so what that same queen that said I couldn't have Brandy as my drag name was like, oh, what about we call you Mia Crofone because you've got the microphone tattoo. And I'm like, that sounds horrible. Mia Crofone? Yeah, like, no, that's, no, that's ugh. I was like, if we're going to go that route, then it has to be Maya, like Maya Crofone, because it's microphone. Yeah. And she's like, oh yeah, no, that works. I'm like, done, cool. And then we were tossing up how to spell it. And I was like, okay, so Maya, easy, M-Y-A, done. Crofone was the hard part, because they're like, oh, just spell it like a normal microphone. I'm like, no, because when you just see that written down, it looks like craphone. <laughs> no, no one's going to read it as no one's going to read it as crophone. They're going to read it as crap home. So no. So I was like, I mean, that's almost like the, uh, the Italian mafia version of your, your uh, alter ego. My <laughs> Crapone. <laughs> so yeah, I just was like, no, nah, it has to have an F. So that with N. And I thought an F over a PH is a little bit more classy. Mm -hmm. you know? I feel that. So I was, I was like, yep, done. And boom, my microphone was born. And the personality just, it just came. I went from being a, we use the term butch loosely when we talk about my boy life. We all know she ain't butch. I went from being a butch presenting to all of a sudden this slutty, confident woman that was parading around in bras and panties and like rubbing herself on anything that moves. Um, a friend of mine recently told me about something that I wasn't actually aware of in the drag 
community, the drag world, and that is drag families or drag houses where up and coming drag queens are adopted by drag mothers, which makes them a part of a drag family or a drag house. And I want to know, is this something that you've had in your experience on, on, I guess, on the Gold Coast being a drag artist? Yeah. So it's, it is very common. I want to say the drag family thing is a lot more of an old school um, sort of mentality that still slowly carries on. But these days, you don't see it as much as like a featured part of the drag world. See, I'd never um, heard of it. And I thought I was like, I would never consider myself incredibly well versed in the world of drag because I've, I've never done it. And I, I have limited experience, which we'll get into later. But yeah, I, it was such a, when she told me just a couple of weeks ago, she, I was, I was dumbfounded. I was like, wow, that's, first of all, that's incredibly supportive and yeah. so nice to be welcomed in that way. But yeah, I had no idea it was a thing. So Martini Ice, who's one of my now ridiculously close personal best friends, she's my drag mother. So your drag mother is the first person that puts you in drag or puts you on stage. So she's like Um, a fairy drag mother. Essentially, yeah. And then they help nurture you and help you grow as a performer. So Martini was always very, very strict. She's like, I'll do your face twice and then you're on your own. She's like, that's the only way you're going to learn. I was like, fair. The mother duck pushing you in. Absolutely. It's like the, all right, all right, you got your, you got your bearings, your bearings, out you go, go on, off on your own. But yeah, so she took me under her wing and helped nurture me. By some extent, I would guess, Justine Kaysen, formerly Imogen Nation, played some role as well, because they were the first who I ever did a show with. They're the first two that put me on stage. But then I, after about two years of me doing it, there was a gorgeous, gorgeous, tall, scared as hell drag queen named Aurora, who came to the club and then she's like, oh, I want to be a performer. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll put you on, you know, a Friday night with me. I'm um, getting like burlesque movie vibes here with Christina and Cher. Ooh, like, yeah, okay. Showing up. Yeah, very Wanting much. to be a performer. Yeah, like, very this, much is, like is, that. Is this the untold movie of drag in Australia that could outdo Priscilla that we might need to look into? Possibly. That could be... But now I think about it, I'm like, who would I get to play me? Because, I mean, I can play myself amazingly, but who could play me? See, I mean, first and foremost, I would just, I would love to get Mariah to play me. Um, She should be so lucky. (laughs) Well, I mean, she practically is a drag queen anyway. And this is coming from one of her hugest fans. So Aurora, yeah, I put her on stage the first time and then I helped nurture her and she's like, essentially was like, you're my drag mum. And I went, yes, I'm going to be a drag mum. But then Aurora's biological sister wanted to do drag as well so i put her in drag as well first time when you um, say biological sister we're talking like actual gender assigned sister like she is a female so she wanted to do drag king so a a assigned at birth female that does feminine drag okay um, cool is called a well they used to be called faux queens but now they're just drag queens um, Girl, you're no educating have... me. I didn't even know that this was a thing. Yeah, like doll, please. I'm educating, I, I got educated myself most recently because again, like as we get older, you slowly start to realise you fall more and more out of touch with the young ones and how progressive they are. And you're like, I need to, I need to get up to your level. Otherwise I'm going to become one of those scared, old, old, angry white people that's like, get off my lawn. Recount the ballots. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's... <laughs> that's a conversation that's that'll get us riled up trust us 
Mm-hmm. All right. So, so you had uh, a drag daughter and she had a yes. biological sister who wanted to also do drag. So I put her on stage the first time as well. And it was, let's just say they were both newbies to performing. So it went as good as possible can be. Like watching um, Bambi learn to walk. Um, or like watching Bambi's mother at the start. <laughs> and I, if they ever, no, they will hear this because they will. They'll, they'll know that that's said with love because they both know how tragic it was at that first one. We did a trio yeah. number of push the button and we're very, very grateful that that video was lost to the ether. So Aurora's sister, we named her Ariel at the time. That was her um, drag so, name? Yeah. So you had Aurora and Ariel because they both love Disney. Love it. Um, but then Ariel transitioned into drag king and became Archie. So... Mm-hmm. Cool. My drag children are Aurora Arsenic and Archie Arsenic. Archie's quite prominent now in the burlesque world, performs amazingly up in Brisbane, was in Melbourne, has come back up to Brisbane, performs amazing like burlesque shows, does a lot with Fireplay and with Kryptonite's Freak Circus. And Aurora, my gorgeous drag daughter, has just recently come out as a trans woman. So I was so happy for her. So I've got, I, I for someone who's got no maternal bone in her body and despises children. I'm so proud of my drag children. It makes me go, I've got, I've got two gorgeous drag babies that are doing so well for their life. It makes me so happy. That's amazing. Congrats, mama. Thank you. That all comes down to my teachings though from Martini. So it's stuff passed down from generation to generation of drag. Just while we're we're talking about because this is this conversation has suddenly taken a sideline in which I wasn't predicting, which is the conversation oh. about drag king, which is great. I actually had a question, so I'm just going to skip ahead. Just excuse me while I read yeah. my notes. No, you're right. Um, I actually had a question about drag kings. What is the drag king scene like here on the Gold Coast? Do we have one? I know that there is a vibrant community of performers in Brisbane. But what do we have going on here on the Gold Coast for drag kings? We actually don't. Oh, um, well, that's a lot. So, yeah, we don't have any currently performing drag kings on the Gold Coast. And as far as I'm aware, there's none in Brisbane either. I know of one. And the only reason I know of one, and I, to be honest, if, um, if they're listening to this, I apologise because... It's all secondhand information. A friend of mine who runs her own podcast, who's a really, really close friend of mine, she has uh, a very good friend who is a drag king performer. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. I can't think of their name and it's going to be a bad edit to try and edit this whole section. <laughs> they perform Sev. in Brisbane. Ah, their name is Sev. But I feel oh, like Lord- that's their... Gen- Lord like- Sev. Yes, Lord Sev. I, okay, well, there we go. I I know of see, one and that's the only one. I would never have, personally, I would never have classified Lord Sev as a drag king purely because I thought, I always thought Lord Sev was a burlesque performer. Maybe, um, you know what, bur- maybe I should go on the record as saying I might be wrong in case Lord Sev listens to this. Just, you know, if you want to fact check me, go ahead, send me some DMs. I will put up an on-air apology. It's fine. But <laughs> I do, I do love Lord Sev. Um, so we performed together a couple of years ago in a competition in Brisbane and I absolutely fell in love with them. Um, they were hilarious. Uh, I can't tell you the number that they did because I can't remember the song in my head. I remember the performance though. 
because it involves boobs out and deep throwing a dildo. Um, Love that. Yeah. So, and I was just like, you are amazing. Go, my hats are off to you. On a separate note, girl, tell those birds to quieten down. Can you do like a Disney really number, you know, like in the Disney, like where they like sing the song and they, the birds back to the actual questions that we were, we were going at before we got diverted by. I'm so sorry. I get, I get sidetracked easily. <laughs> no, it's fine. This is all fun and games. This will be great for the YouTube. So I remember when I first came out when I was 18, I was living in the UK. I started working on the gay scene in the clubs. And a lot of the time, the drag performers, particularly the DJs, were just really mean to people. And to be honest, it made me really standoffish to drag as, as a performance art for a really long time. Because I would, they would like, they would be doing their DJ bit and they'd be in full drag looking gorge. And then somebody would walk in who might be, let's say, overweight. And that was acknowledged. And as somebody who I guess most of the queer community may have been picked on at school, for me, that was just a real sort of red flag of I want to fly under the radar and not have any of you notice me because you're probably going to pick on me and that's just going to make me uncomfortable. Even when I was working there, so I guess my question is, how do you manage to keep the comedy alive with your performances without offending audience members? It is, it is a very hard thing to do because at the end of the day, no matter what you do, someone will take offence to something. No matter what you say or do, someone will find something to be offended by. Not to mention um, those people who were probably just showing up anyway and just offended that you're a boy in a, a, boy in a dress. Oh, it's, I did shows at Chevron Island Tavern and literally the regulars there, they'll be like, why the f do we have these men here in dresses parading around what the hell's going on? We still go out and have a good time because we're like, they're paying us to be here regardless. So I don't care what you're thinking. But yeah, it becomes, uh, it does become a lot harder, especially with today's, sorry, I'm eating my hair as I'm talking. No, that's fine. Um, Munch so, away. <laughs> not used to eating my hair. It does become a lot harder these days, especially. And this isn't me turning around saying, oh, you know, everyone's a snowflake, you know, political correctness. But it does become a lot harder because we become more mindful of not wanting to offend someone. And that's not a bad thing. Like laughing at someone else's expense is no longer funny, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Like using someone else as the butt of the joke for the sake of the joke is no longer funny. So it becomes a lot harder to try and make what you do funny without offending people. Sorry, you know, self-deprecating jokes. They yes. nowadays, like they used to be funny when somebody would make fun of themselves, but now they just kind of come off a little sad. Because it seems like a desperate attempt. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like you're reaching for the lowest hanging fruit. Like you can generally tell from your gigs, like how the crowd is and what they're going to respond to. So for example, a couple of weeks ago, I did a bingo gig at Canungra with Martini and we're trying to get everyone's attention at the very start because everyone's cheering, clapping. Um, this one woman was just being very, very loud. Um, and I just looked at it straight in the eye and just went, you look like you say the word cunt a lot. <laughs> and she was like, yes, love it. It's my favorite word. And everyone's like laughing and Teeny just looks at her and goes, mm, you can smell it. And again, <laughs> loved it. But like later on in the evening when we're playing bingo, so it was around three of the bingo. So everyone's had a couple of drinks. So we're calling it out, like number seven comes up. I'm like, age, I lost my virginity. And everyone's like, okay. And the next number was like 54 or something. I'm like, and the age of the guy I lost it to. 
and everyone's just gone, oh, I'm like, it's okay, it was George Pell. Silence. Oh. They all just went, oh, and even Martini just went, like, Martini's pissing herself laughing because she thought it was the most hilarious thing ever. But then she just went, well, that joke died, didn't it? And I was like, it's okay, people, I was only joking. It wasn't George Pell. It was my uncle. And again, silence. And I'm like, okay, so these sorts of jokes aren't working. Those people in your background just understood your joke. They got it. (laughs) Probably. They were here for it. Whoa. Yeah, like, it's it's hard now because you have no idea. Because I've used that joke before in other other bingos, and it kills because everyone's like, that's hilarious. So you really can't... it's really hard to pick and choose now as to what you can and can't joke about. Which well, I guess people. you never know who's sitting in your audience. No. I always remember watching a stand-up of Joan Rivers. God, God love her. God love her. She's amazing. And she told, it was a racist joke and it was met with silence. And she, she just sort of, she approached the audience very abruptly on the microphone. And she was like, oh, calm down, get over yourselves. It's just a joke. And I get there is this old school humor of, yes, sometimes things are just a joke, but for some people, they're actually just, they're, they're not a joke. It's not because it's, it's their life. Yeah. They're living like, it every day and they're faced with these things every day. And to, you know, to us privileged white folk, sometimes things can just be a joke when it perhaps it yeah. shouldn't be. It's the hardest thing because like, again, as you said, we may not be privileged in the sense of, you know, rich, luxurious upbringing, but we're privileged in the sense that we got to grow up white. Yeah. At the end of the day, um, we got to grow up physically capable of doing things. We got to grow up, you know, no physical deformities, no anomalies, no nothing that made our lives hard, apart from being gay. But but even other, like other, our other, generation coming, I mean, I know there's like five years between you and I, but even our generations that being gay is it was still difficult, but it wasn't as hard as it used to be. No, no, not at all. But yeah, we're we're lucky enough that. For us, when you look at the the hierarchy of like social standings, like straight white men are obviously considered the top. That's slowly being changed, thank God. Us being gay white men are literally the next one down. So we're just a step above women in that social aspect. And please, no one think that I'm saying that we're better than women. I'm just listing the way society deems that. So we're lucky enough that we grew up with that privilege of being born with a penis white, right? and white. Skin. Yes. Yeah. So we can, for, for us, we can make those sorts of jokes and it's, Oh, it's just a joke. But I could never imagine. I had, I had Aboriginal friends growing up cause I lived in North Queensland and I could never imagine how hard it was for them growing up because they were constantly the butt of the joke. Like it's constantly the jokes are aimed directly at them and like, you have to learn to, to laugh at it or it's going to crush you. And that's why, that's why so many people, for them, humour is such a sore point because they've been the butt of the joke for so long. For too long. It's like, yeah. it's a horrible thing to have to live with. And, I th- you know, I can relate, and I'm sure you can relate as being a gay identifying man, that we are also the butt of jokes. Yes. Absolutely. Like you were saying, we're, you know, in terms of the societal hierarchy yeah we're higher up but we've still been the butt of the jokes and this is like when absolutely when i would go into the gay clubs gay clubs in which i worked and was on first name terms with the drag queens whether they were in their queen personas or their, their you know their you know gender assigned identifying 
image, I would always still worry that I was going to be the butt of someone's joke. Mm-hmm. And I have people even now today, they're like, why do you care so much about what people think? And I'm like, because they're people and I'm a human and I get, I don't know them, but. I, I find myself still doing it today in that it's because it's, it's a, it's a ridiculously stupid thing that society ingrains in us in that I find that I judge someone straight away based on how they look. Yep. As soon I, as I, I see someone. Don't like doing it, but I know. No, that no, I'm the exact same. Like I know straight away. I look, I look at someone and straight away I've made some sort of judgment based on that person. And I instantly go, you don't know who this person is. Yeah. Check yourself. You, yeah. Like I'll do it all the time. Like I'll just be walking along and I'll hear something and I'll look and I'll just instantly, I can feel myself. And I, I know I've got a bad poker face. So I know straight away my face has gone to like a mm-hmm. judging them. And then I stop and I go, whoa, hang on. What am I doing? Like, who am I to judge this person? I don't know who do they are. Just go about your day and just move on. And I know it's hard for a lot of people to do that because they just, it's so ingrained in them to instantly judge. And then that's it. It's, they've made up their mind about you straight away, whether or not they know you, whether or not they want to know you, it's just, that's what it is. That's where it comes down to that age old, uh, I say age old, new age old narrative of just be kind. Be kind. And if you have those judgments, you know, it's actually okay to have those judgments as long as you're identifying that you probably shouldn't and why am I having them and, and trying to just do better next time. Absolutely. Like, again, but as long as those judgments are not vocal, verbal, or physical to the people, if no. it's in your own head, check yourself. Yeah. Ask yourself some questions. Find a center you and can, be better. You can never you can never take back what you've said to someone. Exactly. Because regardless of how how much you apologize, regardless of how much they turn around and go, it's fine, it's Damage okay. Is done that person is always going to remember. Yeah. Like it's always going to remember because my favorite analogy is the one about the apple where it's like the teacher before walking to the class has two apples, throws one against the ground repeatedly, but it still looks perfectly fine on the outside. Then comes into the class, puts that one apple on the table, tells the class to say horrible, nasty things to it. And then to the other apples say lovely things to it. And then like, what do these look like? They're like, oh, they look like apples. The teacher then cuts both of them and goes, on the surface, they may look the same, but this is what it looks like inside based on what you've said. It's I mean, such a beautiful analogy in the sense that it really highlights the unseen damage that we can do without knowing we Absolutely. Words, words hurt sometimes more than physical pain because at the end of the day, like words, words, words stay with you. You can be sitting at home and all of a sudden something that someone has said five years ago replays in your head and it affects you like that. Like people don't understand that everything that they say to someone will affect that person and how they act with you for the rest of their life. Completely. It's um, I think something that the majority of us on this planet can relate to. And again, we all just need to be kinder to ourselves and to each other. hundred percent. Oh my God. Look at us going from being like all about drag to then deep philosophical, like middle-aged white women drinking wine, talking about life and... Damn girl, I feel like we've already got your soundbite done and dusted. (laughs) 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Moving on from this uh, slightly heavier topic to back to yes, sorry. the conversation, which is drag. How much of your act when you do it is purely for the theatre of it? And how much of it to you, if at all, is about your own sexual or self-expression? Oh, okay. Well, I guess, yeah, that was... I know, right? She'd go be an old journalisty. You know, I'm going to say this. Do you know where I got that question from? I said to a friend of mine, if you could un- ask a drag queen anything, what would you ask them? And that is what she said. I was like, You're damn right. girl, why don't okay. you be the host of the show? <laughs> no, because you do such a lovely job. Thank you so much. So my performances, it entirely depends on, I guess, the song that I pick. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are certain songs that I'll pick because I have a emotional connection to them. Yep. Um, and I want to perform them because I'm like, I feel something connected to this song. Others are purely done for just the entertainment factor. Like I do an amazing version of Celine Dion's All Coming Back to Me Now. It's, it's one where the, there's nothing wrong with the song. The song plays completely normal. The way I perform it though is complete filth. And it just works so perfectly with the song. Little bits and pieces of just like hand movements and like gestures that work with the song that change it from being a normal song to theatrical, That's like... Filthy theatrical song. Absolutely. But then there are other songs where I've listened to them and gone, this speaks so much to me, I need to perform it. What's and your I go out... favourite one to perform in that instant? Sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, like... No, you're right. What is the um, thing, the song for you, or maybe a couple of songs, which you kind of just go, this is me, this is Maya, this is a moment. I guess it would be... Mariah's We Belong Together purely because so I mean everyone always has that one that got away Mm -hmm. for me the song that I generally will like sing in regards to that person is Pink's The One That Got Away because I love that song but unfortunately that's a horrible drag song to perform (laughs) because it just it doesn't there's there's nothing to it to perform as a drag queen doesn't translate but yeah but Mariah's We Belong Together it has the same sort of connotations of that talking about someone one the one that got away someone that you're no longer with that you wish you were but because I can be like at this powerhouse diva I don't have to do much I can literally stand still and lip sync it and evoke all the emotion from it and every time like and I can I make myself cry at the end of it I'll be standing there and I'll hit those final last notes and I'll have tears coming out and people will be like they're like you really feel that song don't you and I'm like I do that's why I perform it 
And that's what every performer should have. They should have, if it's not done purely for entertainment, then they should have some form of emotional connection to the song. And then I've got other numbers that I just performed because I like being a slutty mess on stage. <gasps> What's your biggest slutty mess song? Ooh. I guess for a little while it was Fuck You Better by Neon Hitch. Mm-hmm. Then I think it went to, uh, it was, it's a mashup of um, Work From Home by Fifth Harmony and Touch by Little Mix. It's a mashup of those two. And that's just one that I just do because I just get to like touch myself on stage and just dance like a filthy whore. Love it. Love your work. How has drag changed in the years that you've been a performer? Well, when I started doing drag almost seven years ago, the costumes were all bra and panties. Like everyone was in bra and panties. It was all very like slutty, very like all your musical numbers that you performed are all top 40, just throw away sort of just to get a crowd reaction. Yeah. These days I find queens and I love it because I love watching the new and upcoming queens do it. Like they've evolved to a point where they spend so much time and thought going into their numbers that when they perform them on stage, it's just this amazing thing to watch. And like, I'll perform in competitions now in Brisbane, I'm against some of these younger queens and I'm like, I don't have a hope in hell. Like, <laughs> I know what I do is good, but fuck, these girls are just like phenomenal. Like, what am I doing? Like, you, you, you take that, you take that title, you go for it, that's fine. That's, I'll, grab, I'll bow out because they've just got all this creativity that just they explode on stage do you, um, do you think that comes from like because obviously like the newer generations that are coming up after us and also including us when i say us i mean you're five years younger than me so you um and <laughs> people that are, that are coming up just behind you there's such a it's not it's almost like i don't want to even it's not a sexual rebellion like back in the what, like the 60s or 70s, it's none of that vibe. It's, it's more of like a sexual acceptance and a sexual freedom that people can just be and do what they want. Labels as a becoming a thing of the past very slowly, but they are. Do you think that they have just this freedom to be who they want to be now? Whereas our generations that was slowly coming in, but there was still that umbrella of the predecessors, which is this, this, and this. Absolutely. Like when I started drag, there was still, I guess the sort of like unspoken drag rules of what you need to do, what you don't do sort of thing. Yeah. Over the last seven years, that has all but been abolished. Like it's now drag is drag is whatever you want it to be. Like drag, if you want to walk out in fucking gigantic, huge eye makeup, a long, like Fu Manchu, mustache, beard, giant, huge Dolly Parton tits. Everyone will be like, yes, slay, work, bitch. One of the biggest proponents of like self-expression dr- drag for me is someone like Selma Soul in Brisbane, who was also featured on The Voice last year, if not the year before. She does not follow anyone's rules, just goes out and does whatever the hell she wants and is amazing at it. So many of these up-and-comers, I'm... I'm jealous and envious of because they've got to start in a world where there was no rules. There's no, none of this. It's just, you do whatever you want and put whatever you want out on stage. Some of us older performers, we still have, like, we, we, we have the ability to do that. Like I could go out on stage and do literally whatever the hell I want. But because my persona and character has already been established based on when I started drag, I like to stick to it if that makes sense what was mariah carey's album that she did where she did like a rebirth something about mimi what was it called the emancipation of mimi i mean can there be an emancipation of maya there could be but 
I enjoy what I do too much, if that makes sense. Yeah. My, my whole drag aesthetic is, as you can tell, is to look as gorgeous and as feminine passing as possible. Because in my day-to-day life, yeah, I'm a bald-headed, bearded, hairy, like six-foot-one bloke if he doesn't move or talk. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing is I like the contrast between how I look as a boy to, as a girl. Whereas a lot of these up-and-coming performers, they just love this self-expression and just being able to just paint with makeup and so wear lavish more, costumes. More androgynous for the, the younger guys and girls coming. I guess, yeah. It's because for them as well, like they're these new generation that are starting drag are also the same generation that have almost abolished the the labels and the the gender identities. Like there are so many more of them now that identify as non-binary because for them it's like a one day I'll feel feminine, one day I'll feel masculine. So like I'm not either. And that's amazing. Like I, I support that. I like go for it. No one should be able to sit there and go, no, you were born a boy. You need to act a boy or no, you were born a girl. You need to act a girl. Like there should never be any of that. So these young performers, because they've, they've created a societal shift in abolishing all that like old school, horrible, historical hierarchy, patriarchal bullshit essentially they can go out on stage and just express themselves in a more free and fun atmosphere i guess well i am all for that because i'll tell you this since you and i last uh worked together briefly i've obviously grown my hair out and (laughs) i you have yes you're i I actually was like you put a weave on for this no girl this is all me look um i get shit for having long hair yeah all the time all the time and not only that, not only do I then get shit for having long hair, I then get shit for having highlights in my hair. And I'm like, it's my fucking hair. Let me do what I want with it. It's not on you. You don't have to deal with it. I'm the one that straightens it because it's curly and then adds texture by curling it again later because I've got psychological issues. Like, calm down. I was going to say, you're giving me this gorgeous, like, beachy sort of, like, just this stepped off This is the vibe I live for, but it only comes with a lot of, a lot of bleach, a lot of breakage a lot of heat, a lot of damage, and a lot of Olaplex. Girl, that's why I wear wigs, because <laughs> I can then change my hairstyle and don't have to damage my very, very fine item out of hair that I have left. I've seen on your Instas that you've rocked those um, wearable, washable, swimmable wigs. Yeah, no, by all means, keep this in. Like, I love talking about this. They look um, amazing. Are they as good as they look? Like, they're amazing. So I... Like, I always knew I had a receding hairline, like, always knew. But then I went to my hairdresser one week to, well, one appointment to get my hair done. And she was like, oh, you really need to be careful when you pin your wigs in at the back here. I was like, I don't pin my wigs in. She's like, oh, oh, doll. And she was like, on your crown, you're starting to... Was this when you were first starting to lose hair? Well, this was at about 28. Okay. So so I'm 31 now, so yeah. And I was like... Oh my God, no, 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 no. I knew I had the receding hairline. I'm like, I can't be losing it from both ends. No, that's no. So I, someone I previously worked with, I'd seen on their Instagram, all of a sudden they had thick, full, luscious hair. And I knew for a fact that they did not have that hair. I was like, message them privately. I'm like, you need to tell me what's up. And they're like, oh, what do you mean? I'm like, no, 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 don't, don't. Don't bullshit a bullshitter. I know what's up. You need to tell me because I need that. So they put me on to the company that was making them for them in Brisbane. And I was just like, yep, yeah, cool. Put it on. And I was like, oh my God, I've got hair. It looks so good. Like you can't even tell that it's... Uh, Unclockable. Uh, it's amazing. Like, 
the only people that obviously could tell that I all of a sudden started wearing one were my immediate coworkers at the time because I left work the day before with no hair and come back to work the next day with a full head of hair. Like, they're like, oh, it's always been like this. What are you talking about? But they're just like, mm, okay, so obviously that's something up. I'm like, yeah, okay. I can't, I can't exactly hide that. Like, it's not like I have some magical hair grow tonic at home. But there's this such, there's such a pressure on masculinity and, and particularly when it comes to losing your hair that you're supposed to lose it with dignity and all of this business. Fuck and that. If you're, if you're losing your hair, shave it off and whatever. Like, hair is such an attachment to your identity, particularly if you've always had, like, you know, I know guys who have always had a full head of hair, but they've always had it shaved. If they lose their hair, it's really not, it's such not an issue. issue no. They've always had it shaved. But if you've got somebody who's always had, you know, 90s curtain vibes or whatever, they're going to feel it. Or like yourself. Yeah. Like when mine falls out, which we, you know, already receding, but it's been good for a few years. So I'm good. But when that happens and inevitably it's going to happen, I will die. Yeah, like it's, and it's, I, but I've always, I've always made the joke, quote unquote joke. I've always gone, I'll wear a wig. I don't care. I probably see, I think, care, and I might not wear a wig. But no, but see, that's the thing. Is like, I think the beautiful thing, especially when it comes to male acceptance of this trialing the feminine beauty side, like because it has been such a thing. Like when you men lose their hair, that's it. Shave it. You know, be a man. You know, be dignified. Fuck that. Women put hair extensions in their hair all the time. Women have wigs because they're losing their hair. Men need to, it's getting over that, again, that whole, we're going back to being political and societal know, bullshit us again. Go. Like, this was supposed to be fun, not serious. Uh, I'm so sorry. This just, <laughs> what, what is going on? It's the wine. Who are the you? Wine. We're solving the world's problems. This will be a two-part episode. Oh, scandalous. Um, but okay, so we'll just keep this light and fresh. Men wear wigs. If you're going bald and you don't want to accept being bald, wear a fucking wig. Who cares? These if someone turns around, technologies are there for a reason. Embrace it. Exactly. And if somebody goes to you, are you wearing a wig? You go, what of it? Why do you care? What's it to do with you? I look fabulous. Exactly. Thank you for noticing. Turn around and go, I'm also going to butt plug in, but do you need to know that? And watch them just go, uh, what, what, what? I didn't ask that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like your opinion. Didn't ask for it. Right. Uh, moving swiftly on. Um, <gasps> oh. How do you think shows such as RuPaul's Drag Race has helped or hindered the art form of drag performance over the years? Oh God, here we go. Oh, deep dive. No, so don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm a massive, massive fan of RuPaul's Drag Race. Thanks. I have literally watched every single season ever. I love it because it's brought what we do into the mainstream more. Like for myself, doing my trivias twice a week or doing my bingos or a lot of my crowds now are predominantly straight people. And stuff like RuPaul's Drag Race is to thank for that because it's brought it more attention to the mainstream population. That being said, it's hindered it in the sense that the fandom of RuPaul's Drag Race is toxic as hell. Like the fandom of Drag Race Local queens like myself, like we don't have an Australian version of Drag Race yet, mm. but we will. But the fans constantly compare local queens to queens that have been on the show. It's like, you can't do that. That's, you can't just compare these people. It's like comparing chalk and cheese. Everyone has their own way of doing stuff. No one has to do it like what you've seen on TV. Or yes, this queen might be similar to another queen that you saw on TV, but does not mean that 
you need to attack them going, no, that person did it better. Like, no, it's unfortunately, that's the bad thing that came with drag race getting so popular is that the negativity now gets outweighed in comparison to the, to the positivity from it. I remember Um, when drag race first started, I was living in England and it wasn't huge. It was on like a cable channel or whatever. And I watched it and I was like, this is fun. And it was completely fun. And then what, by the time I'd moved here, which was 11 and a half, 12 years ago when I moved to Australia. Um, yeah, I know. Right. Old. And (laughs) it had kind of started to go mainstream in the UK, but it didn't feel like it was quite mainstream here. And then in the years I've been here, it's gone, you know, it's exploded. Yeah. But so I don't follow it anymore. I haven't followed it or watched it for a long time. I love it and appreciate it. I think it's a great, you know, it's done a really good job in, in mainstreaming drag to, to the masses and helping yeah. them understand it and be more accepting of queer people and, and drag Absolutely. itself. But I, as someone who doesn't follow it, I feel the toxicity that comes from it now based on podcasts I listen to or, you know, other people's comments on socials or just the whole thing. I think, I think unfortunately, and the negativity that comes with like the drag race fandom and drag race becoming so mainstream purely stems from our now constant reliance on social media yeah. because now everyone has a voice that can be heard by everyone. Like previously, before social media got big, if you hated something you saw on TV. Yeah, it was between you and your circle. Yeah, and then no one else knew or cared. But now you could put that on the internet and someone else will then attack you for your opinion. Um, And then it just starts this huge thing. And because of that, the negativity of Drag Race is now pushed so far into the limelight. When people talk about Drag Race, they now get instantly punched in the face with the negativity that comes with Drag Race because it's just so predominantly featured. So Drag Race as a TV show, amazing in launching, you know, drag into the biosphere and making it a huge global phenomenon that it now is. Yeah. Bad because it's also drawn out all of the negative people that for some reason have nothing better to do in their lives and criticise the way someone paints their eyes. Come on, guys. Calm down, everyone. Exactly. It's just fucking eyeshadow. Put it on however the fuck you want. So I'll say this. I love when I see your posts come up on my Instagram or my Insta stories. What are the mental and physical transformations that you go through to get into Maya? How long does it take? Like, is it a whole process? Do you have a ritual? So vigorously masturbate in the shower before I get ready. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, so I don't have like a ritual to get ready. Getting ready, like I now, I now love the process of getting ready. I used to hate it because back when I started drag, I used to try and do my face like everyone else. So try and do the old school drag makeup and it would take me two, nearly three hours and I'd still look horrible. And I used to hate that process because I'd, I'd go to get ready and go, okay, I'm going to be sitting here for the next three hours. Awesome. Cool. And then by the time you get halfway through it, if you hate it, you're like, it's too late to turn back. Stuck with it now. But now, because I changed my drag aesthetic to suit myself, and that's this whole feminine, gorgeous, like, beauty makeup, I love it because I sit there and I can, I'll start doing my face, and I'm like, yep, okay, slowly starting to come together. Um, If I hate it, the good thing is, is I now can take it off and start again, and it doesn't cost me too much time. Like, I go, nope, hated that eyeshadow, take it straight off, 
back on. But I can now also cut my time down to doing my face from almost three hours to half an hour. Wow. So I've saved myself so much time. And so now I enjoy doing it because I'm like, it's only half an hour. It's nothing. Can we talk about the tuck? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I know as, as a straight white male, which is not me, but as me, I actually don't know anything about the tuck. Okay. I know that it's a thing. I know it's a terminology. I know things get tucked, but um, yeah. There's multiple ways of doing it. Tie it in a knot and can you tie it in a bow? And do you throw it over your shoulder like a continental soldier? Uh, <laughs> no, so you can do the very old school method of tape tucking. Oh, so that's Today it. have even got a new method of tucking. Yeah. So the old school method is, you know, tape tucking. So you can either use the medical like strapping tape. Or... Is this good if you have a shorty McShorterson? No. Again, the entire, the size of your member does not dictate the <laughs> tightness of your tuck. Ah, oh, <laughs> pun and I didn't even realize that one. Um, yeah, does not dictate the extensitivity of extensitivity. That's not even a word. Yeah, the size of your member does not dictate that. So the old school method of tape tucking, you're either using the medical strapping tape or like clear or clear like packing tape. Duct tape. Um, yeah, you could use duct tape. You push your um, you push your boys up inside because there's a little cavity just above your groin area where the boys just slip in. They'll just go up in. You push your member back and then you put the tape over so it just keeps everything. I mean, you'll need three or four strips of it to keep everything together. 10 or 12, depending on who you are. Well, it depends on the, yeah, the width of the strip. And you just have to make sure that you tape it to either side of your butt crack. You don't want to tape over your butthole. Like, you just want to tape it to either side of your butt crack. Um, and then you get a nice, <coughs> depending on how tight you've done it, faux, faux vagina. So that's the there's, old school method. Yeah, there's, there's the other method that, I don't want to say lazy queens, but lazy queens do. You did a, you did a smirk. Are you a lazy queen? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, do, I do this other method and I'll explain that one in a second. Um, no, so lazy queens who wear hip pads, like large hip pads. Okay. Yeah. Um, they don't have to tuck because with the amount of pairs of stockings that they have to put on to like hide the, the seams of their hip pads, it means then that it flattens everything out. So... They don't have to tuck. So they've got a more comfortable experience as opposed to our tape tucking sisters. Then you've got queens like myself who buy specially designed undergarments. So I've got a G-string from a company called Tuck It Up, um, which is designed specifically to hide everything. And it essentially does the same job as the tape tucking, but with no pain because you're not having to peel no pain and little hassle by the sound of exactly. it. Exactly. Well, it's just, I slip on... Why would all queens not just do this method? Um, because I guess it depends, like, wearing something like this tucking G, um, depending on what look you're going for, it's harder to hide. Whereas a tape tuck, you can then essentially wear nothing and everything's hidden. Right. So you can walk out on stage completely naked and it looks like you're completely naked. Thanks to duct tape. Yeah, we could get a sponsorship with this one. Absolutely, Scotch tape. <laughs> Love it. This For all your drag queen by... needs. Absolutely.
Uh, well, okay, so that's cool. That's interesting. So I had no idea you could buy a special undergarments to help the situation along. That's awesome. The one thing you don't want to do is smell a queen's tuck at the end of the night. Oh, yeah. No, you really went there, didn't you? You said I had. You said I had free range to talk about whatever I want. You do have free range to talk about whatever you want, but I've got to ask you one question on Absolutely. that question. Who did okay. your research on this one? Oh, oh, okay, oh, okay. <laughs> Um, no, 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 no. Like a drag queen's lock, a drag queen's dressing room is much similar to like a sporting locker room in that it's just horseplay. So like you'll build, there'll be queens that at the end of the night, they're drunk, they'll take the tuck off and like throw it at other queens. So copping a tuck to the face is never pretty. Right. So what I'm getting is you girls are not actually ladies. You're not, you know. Oh, behind closed doors. God, no. <laughs> God, no. Uh, what are the what types of diversity issues do you find within the drag community, i.e., racism, that sort of thing? I'll be honest in saying that unfortunately, I'm probably not the right queen to answer this question. Going back to what we were talking about before, being the fact that I'm a white male, so I come from a area of privilege. But from what I have seen or has been discussed with me from fellow queens of colour. It's not necessarily the drag community itself that gives them any sort of like grief, but it's the actual fans um, or people seeing the drag shows. So like, yeah, because again, it comes down to unfortunately the way society is ingrained that we're slowly, slowly going to change. But yeah, my, my personal experiences, I haven't really found any sort of struggles myself because again, I'm unfortunately born to a life of privilege and the fact that I've got white skin and I'm a cis male. So I don't, I probably can't answer that question any better without stepping into that whole mansplaining territory. And I don't want to do that. No, that's fine. Understandable completely. I guess we can take away from that is that there are whisperings that there are um, some not niceties going on in terms of that topic. Absolutely. Like you'll, you'll always find that like, un. uh, undisclosed but also blatant racism is prominent no matter what community you're in so be it straight gay drag sporting like it's always going to be there because again we've got thousands of years of white history to try and make up for and it's it's even more unfortunate for my fellow queens of color because not only are they gay but then they're also drag queens which in the gay world Again, going down that society or that hierarchy, we're further down. So they're gay, they're drag queens, plus they're queens of colour. They keep getting pushed further and further and down this totem pole. So I can only imagine that it's hard for them to break past that when they see queens, I guess like myself, who have a little bit easier in terms of people just loving them for their aesthetic. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. What can the young people of today take away from drag as a performance art? I would say they get to take away from it that it's a freedom of expression. Like you get to, you get to watch someone living their best life on stage. And that's what I find the best performances are, is when you see the performer enjoying what they do, you then enjoy the performance. The biggest thing I can ever say is if you ever go to see a drag show, don't go into it with any expectations. Like have as minimal expectations as possible and you'll be amazed at what you see. If you go in expecting something, you're always bound to be let down. My biggest thing for the 
young, especially young ones coming into our communities from now is always come in with an open mind and an open heart and just enjoy everything that you see. Think of it, think of it like Alice going through the rabbit hole and into Wonderland and going, what is all of this? We're Wonderland, all the new gays coming in. Uh, Alice, come and enjoy this amazing world. So what is next for you, Brandon? And what is next for Maya? Uh, well, Brandon is slowly progressing his career. So looking after the bar that I work in. So being the supervisor in there and slowly building that up to a level that we wanted at. Um, so Brandon's career is just going up and up and up. Maya is, I guess, along the same. Like now the gigs are slowly starting to come back. She's starting to be booked and blessed once again and going to be a very busy lady. Hopefully 2021 is kinder to us all and I can just see Maya flourishing like never before. I dare say when my other half listens to the final episode, once it's edited down, he's going to go, where and when can we go see Maya perform? Oh, okay. So do you want to share with the listeners if you have anything up and coming for the future, maybe early into next year, where people yeah. can, can come and see a great drag show, a great drag performer and uh, all round lovely human. I paid him to say that, by the way. Um, Not enough, but he paid. <laughs> so, I mean, anyone that's in the the Gold Coast, Byron, Tweed Shire area, um, I'm going to be at Balcony Bar and Oyster Co. in Byron Bay on the 13th of December. It's a Sunday night for their weekly drag and dine. Otherwise, if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Microphone and follow Mixed Nuts, which is the drag performing troupe that I constantly perform with, or Entertainment Guru, which is the trivia company that I work for. That's going to be the best way of keeping up to date with where exactly I'm going to be at the time, um, all the different events that we've got coming up. Brandon, Maya, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your effort. You look stunning. No, but thank you so much for having me though, Sean. Like, I was so excited to come and do this. And I mean, like a casual Wednesday night, getting to sit glamorously around my apartment, drinking wine and chatting with an old friend. <laughs> this is true. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having me. So guys, that's a wrap on another fun-filled episode of Excuse Me. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation this week. A big thank you once again to Brandon and Maya Crofone for being so forthcoming with their story. I had a blast having this catch up. If you want to stay up to date with Maya and be the first to know where you can catch her next performance, follow her on Instagram at Maya Crofone. I'll pop a link to her socials in the show notes. But for now, stay safe. And remember, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? See you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.